Between 1970 and 1971, an alien was spotted multiple times in the country of Finland. And we'll discover why they never returned to that country. And then we take a look at the conspiracy that the country of Finland doesn't exist at all. Is there any truth to the rumor that the entire world has been deceived by Russia and Japan to hide up the best fishing location in the world? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. we got a lot of stuff to cover today, so let's just jump right into it. This is the episode I wanted to do yesterday to kind of go off of the Finno-Korean hyperwar segment. I did, I think it was on Monday. We didn't have an episode on Monday, but anyways... I wanted to have this episode come out yesterday. I was just too beat. But we're doing all Finland. We're going all in on the Finnanese. The Finnish. The Finnish. That's the word I'm looking for. So hop on board the Carpenter Copter. We are going to a small little village in Finland. It is no... And i got to warn you, if you're a long-time listener of the show, I'm not going to be able to pronounce any of this. All of this stuff is really, really hard to pronounce. We are going to Imjarvi. Imjarvi. We're going to Imjarvi, and it's in southern Finland. Okay, Finland's not that big to begin with. I don't even know why they bother having a southern part of it. It's basically just a blop of land in between a bunch of other countries. But anyways, we're going to Imjarvi. The year is 1970. It is a cold, blustery January morning. Now, there's two dudes skiing. One of them is named, this is, okay, I don't know if the article listed this as his occupation or his first name, but I'm pretty sure it's his first name. His name is Wood, Woodman Heinonen, Woodman Heinonen, which was a dope, I mean, that's a dope name, just Woodman. Oh no, call me Wood for short, please. Woodman, and then his buddy Esco Vijo, which sounds like a, the name of a buddy. Sounds like that guy was born, his parents named him that, knowing he would just be a sidekick. Escovijo, that's a sidekick's name. Woodman is like this powerful leader guy, and Escovijo is like his little goblin friend in the background going, Yes, Woodman, yes! He was destined to be a toady. So anyways, Woodman and Esco are skiing through uh, Imjarvi, southern Finland, right? And then they're like, oh, I'm getting tired. <laughs> yes, master, time to rest. Yes, master. So they take a break. And as Esco is preparing Woodman's food for him, just the way he likes it, they start to see a light in the sky. And I'm like, hey, look at that. It's, it's just light in the sky, right? Obviously, it was unusual enough to capture their attention. It wasn't a star or the moon. And it was kind of getting dark. It wasn't the middle of the day. But it wasn't noon either. So anyways, <laughs> that, that's the build. that's the buildup. And they start to hear a buzzing noise. And they're like, that's a weird combination of things. Bright light, no buzzing noise, don't even think about it. Buzzing noise, no bright light. Maybe I just invented a cell phone and it's ringing in my pocket for the first time ever. But it was a combination of those two. And as the light gets closer, the buzzing gets louder. And then they see a disc-shaped ship. Flying saucer. But this has an interesting component to it. I won't waste your time with boring UFO stories. I think you've picked up on that by now. Anyways, red-gray mist is coming out of this craft, or appearing around the craft would be more apt. And the ship was so low to the ground that Woodman said, I could have touched it if I had reached up with my ski stick. 
It's a ski pole, dummy. But we get your point. They said it was about 12 feet off the... I think it's a ski pole. Maybe maybe the terminology is different, but it, they said it, it would... that That's really low for a UFO that hasn't landed. I mean, my, like, I know, but just any aircraft that's hovering 12 feet off the ground, it's incredibly low. At that point, it's not right over them. It's not like floating right over the heads, but it's nearby. At that point, there's like this protrusion. There's like this tube sticking out of the bottom of it. And this bright light shoots out of the tube and goes... And it's like hits the ground. So they're basically looking at this UFO hovering in front of them on this cold, cold day. And then a beam shoot out of the bottom of it. And Woodman's looking at it. And he says he felt something from behind grab him and pull him backwards. And he's never been able to explain what that force was. But he said he felt like someone wrapped their arms around his waist and pulled him backwards so he's not so close to the beam. And the light starts going... Like pulsating. And then, bing! An alien shows up. Now, this alien's described as being three feet tall, which is typical of what we describe as grays are generally very short. But all of these other descriptions aren't typical of what we know of as gray aliens. Three feet tall, dressed in a green overall type suit, where the skin was exposed, you could see pale flesh. So I'm imagining it's like wearing some Oshkosh Bagosh stuff, like his shoulders are bare, or it's like Marky Mark and he has one, just one shoulder hanging off. But he's wearing like these green overalls, uh, thin arms and legs, and oddly enough, green boots on. Well, I guess, I don't know, I guess the idea, I think why I find that weird is... I don't know, the idea of having skinny legs and wearing boots at the same time, I just imagine you're like Spinelli from Recess, where she had those little tiny legs and those Doc Martens. I guess the visual is that the boots are there, but they're way too big for the alien's feet. Wearing a helmet, so they don't see its face. It has a conical helmet on, basically a big old dunce cap. So they can't see its face. It's wearing this suit. It appears out of the beam, and it's holding this black box that seems to have a yellow glow around it. And without really any input or any action by Woodman and Esco, the alien turns towards Woodman, points the box, just kind of holds the box in his direction. Woodman says, it felt like he was pointing a weapon at me. And then all of a sudden, sparks. I know this sounds really cheesy and sci-fi and a little Buck Rogers, but sparks shoot out of the ground in front of Esco and Woodman. So it's not like a beam shot out of the box, just... All these sparks, these multicolored sparks shoot out of the snow right in front of them. They're like, ah, shielding their eyes. They didn't take any damage. They were totally fine. They had immunity to alien sparks. And at that point, the red-gray mist started to appear again, started to envelop them. And then the mist disappeared. The UFO disappeared. The alien disappeared. The event was over. Woodman was paralyzed on the right side. Esco actually had to help him get home. Yes, master, me carry you. So he Esco carries Woodman back. Woodman's just reading a book as, as Esco's carrying him through the snow. But eventually the paralysis went away. The story gets reported, becomes a huge news story. A journalist, an interpreter, who could knew us how to speak Finnish, a photographer and Esco and Woodman go back to the location where this happened. And they said, the reports go, when they got back there, the three people who hadn't been there before photographer, interpreter, and the journalist, their hands started to glow red when they got to the location, and Woodman started having a headache, and they left. Now, it could just be that Woodman needed to take a little Tylenol. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that he was having some alien things. And people, so this story was really popular when it came out, but people really started to dispute it or think that it was a hoax 
because Woodman kept talking about other encounters he was having with aliens, like, afterwards. And they really thought he was just making stuff up to, like, get back in the news. And one of them, he told people, he's like, oh, yeah, I was talking to this blonde woman, and I was pretty sure she was an alien. So I pulled my camera out to take a picture, and she disappeared. Put me in your newspaper. And people were like, maybe the woman just didn't want to be photographed. And he'd be like, uh. So he kept telling these other encounters he had with these alien people coming down. Which one, the blonde woman, now that I think about it, she's not running around in a green suit with a cone head. Like, why would he, if you're going to make up the story, make up a story that builds on the mythology of your original story? As far as it being a hoax, I mean, Esco is going to go along with anything that Woodman says anyways. He's totally going to back him up if Woodman just goes, you know what would be funny if we made this story up? But that's not where our story ends. Could be a hoax, but we're going to look at some other, some other strange accounts that happened around the same time in the same country. In February 2nd, 1971, two women are driving through Kimiki. Sounds very cute. Sounds like a city you could date. Actually, that's a county, but sounds like a county you could date. Kimiki. And they're driving through Kimiki, and it's about three hours. It's in the general region of where the last sighting was. So that one took place, the first one took place in January 1970. Now we're February 1971, February 2nd, 1971. Two women are driving through Kimiki, and they see a alien run across the street. They described it as being... Three foot tall, wearing a helmet, with a brown-green suit. They're saying the suit wasn't completely brown. It had some green elements in it. But it still matches up enough to the other encounter. But Jason, didn't you just say that the first story got a bunch of press? Could be a hoax. And, and it's fine. They could be piggybacking off of that. But it's a year later. His story's already gone from the newspapers. If you're going to jump on the bandwagon, you would assume they would do it earlier. And that's all their story was. They were driving around Kamiki. And they saw an alien run across the street. So again, if you're going to hoax, if you're going to make something up, have them say, you must save the planet from carbon stuff and like pollution's bad. And you just make up, make up all that environmental nonsense. Don't just say, I was, <laughs> if you're making it up, you'll make up something more interesting than I almost, I saw an alien run across the street. It's a weird thing to make up. But this is where we get into why I want to talk about this story. I think the f- box shooting the sparks is cool and all, but. But this story shows the world how close encounters should actually go. All that stuff was the appetizer. This is the main course, ladies and gentlemen. February 5th, 1971. Three days after the alien was spotted running across the street. In an undis- there, there's no, I couldn't find the location for where this took place. But again, Finland's not the, that big of a country. They could be on the northern tip and it'd be across the street. So, I don't have the location for where this story took place. We just have, which I know is super suspicious, but this story is so awesome, I will put aside my skepticism for this one. Three days after the women spotted the alien running across the street, we have two lumberjacks. We have Peter Aliranta and Esko Sneck. Really, what is it? In Finland, Is if you have a sidekick name, you have to be friends with someone with a more powerful name. Peter and Esco. Who has the last name Sneck? That's the sound effect that Wolverine's claws make. I don't get it. Why couldn't I? If my kids, if my last name was Sneck, I would not name him Esco. But that's so, don't name your kids 
names, don't name your kids names that make them sidekicks. Just don't do it. Or worse, comedic sidekicks. Like, Esco is not as bad. What was the first name here? Oh, what? His name was Esco too? What? I didn't even pick up on that. Both of these guys' names are Esco. That's weird. I 100... I'm going to have to check. I'm going to have to make sure that those that I didn't miswrite those names. Here, hold on one second. Because that's bizarre. Is Esco a popular name over there? No way. That would be bizarre. I, th- I think I mistyped it. So let's see here. How are you guys doing today? Oh, oh, yeah, here. Hold on. Yeah, dude, Esco. And I did realize where it took place. Canula. So it was about three hours away from the sighting of the dude running across the street. Little alien man running across the street. Both of their names are Esco. That is totally correct. Kamiki is halfway between Kanala and Mjarvi, if I'm reading these maps right. Which there's a good chance that I'm not. But both of these people's names is Esco. I swear to God, these guys were... It was a... There was an entire family of people who just named their kids after... They wanted their kids to be lackeys. That all aside, that all aside. So, Esco, this Esco 2, we'll call him, and Peter, Petar, maybe, P-E-T-T-E-R, Petter, Petter, we'll just call him Peter. Petter, sorry, Peter, this episode's going off the rails. There was also five minutes of just me clicking my mouse as I was having to look that stuff up. Peter and Esco 2 are hanging out. They're actually not hanging out. They're lumberjacks. They're doing their job. But the sky starts to get overcast. And Peter turns to his lackey and says, Job's done for the day. We can't keep cleaning up. We, we can't keep chopping down trees. That's their actual job. Let's start cleaning up. And Esco is like, Yes, master. We shall do that. And then and Peter's like, Silence. Esco 2 gets all shy. And he's like, Did I disappoint my master? Anyways, they start cleaning their stuff up. Ready to go home. And and so Peter's putting away all of his stuff. He has to shut down his chainsaw. I don't think it was running the whole time he was giving those orders. But he's holding his chainsaw. And he sees out in the sky a disc-shaped object. And it has four little, like, landing legs. And they come out of the ship. And lands, okay? No big deal. It's just a UFO flying around. Well, I mean, it's a big deal to us. We hear about these stories all the time. But to Peter, he looks at this thing, and he sees a circular door kind of open up on it. And Esco, Esco is still putting his stuff away. He doesn't see any of this. But Peter is, has the eyes of a hawk. He has the will of a hunter. And the body of a lumberjack. And he's watching all this stuff happen. And out of the UFO jumps a three-foot-tall alien. One-piece green suit. Now, this one, the suit covers him up completely. The suit covers him up completely. Has a helmet on and has a faceplate like a scuba diver. Now, we have different descriptions of what the suit looks like. Conical helmet on the first one. The other guy is just described as having a helmet. This one has more of a rounded helmet because they drew pictures of what the dude looked like. Imagine for this story, you asked a four-year-old to draw a picture of an astronaut. That's what they look like. The suits are super, like, bulky. There's no fingers visible. It's just basically like a giant marshmallow man that kind of has, like, a rounded head and a little visor in the middle of it. So it's like a kid designed an alien, and then that species goes, that's a great suit, and they built it. But we have the same height, the same color. We have no facial features, and we they're wearing green. I already said that with the color, but, you know, they have the suit on. 
So we have three sightings over the course of about 11 months describing the same thing. Again, if they were faking it, they would all have the overalls and the pale skin from the first story. I think the fact that certain details are the same but others are different kind of lend credibility to that the story may be real. Anyways, Peter is standing there watching this little guy jump out of a spaceship. And he said that he moved mechanically, but he thinks it was the limitation of the suit. He said the suit seemed to restrict the alien's movements. But what was odd was that he walked he walked like an astronaut on the moon. So he said he would take a step and then he would kind of jump like softly three feet in the air and land. Then he would take another step and he would jump about three feet and land. And it was just kind of like this slow, graceful, not necessarily graceful, but this slow walk across the forest. Slow bounce, bounce, just kind of bouncing through the forest. It would look like it was a lot of fun if it wasn't an alien coming towards you. Otherwise, you would say like, hey, can I borrow one of those suits? But the alien is bouncing towards Peter. Very slowly, methodically, but is getting closer and closer. Esco has no idea any of this is going on until he hears the chainsaw start. So Peter, as he's watching this three-foot-tall green dude bounce across the forest silently towards him, he starts starts up his industrial chainsaw, is there any other kind, and begins, like, revving it. And the alien is still bouncing towards him. Bounce? Bounce? And then he stops. And Peter's standing there looking at him with his chainsaw revved up. And the alien looks at him and slowly turns and starts bouncing back to his ship. Now, he's moving fairly slowly because he's doing, like, these long, graceful bounces. Peter starts walking towards him with a chainsaw. Walking through the forest, just smoke and gas, that, that gas smell that all those gas-powered chainsaws put out. Just through the forest. Esco, at this point, turns around, sees this thing, and begins following Peter. The chainsaw was enough to startle the alien to leave. The close encounter was over. But Peter continues to follow him through the forest, just revving this thing the whole time, and starts, like, pointing it at him. So now he's, like, walking behind this alien who sees his ship in the distance and is taking a step, bounce, super slow, And it takes another... It's basically a horror movie where now the villain is the human. This alien sees the ship in the distance and it's getting painfully close, but still, it's such a slow journey. You hear a guy with a chainsaw moving through the forest towards you. There's no doubt in my mind if Peter had started running, this this would have ended very, very badly. But instead, at this point, both Esco and Peter see other aliens in the ship. And the ship starts to take off. So, the alien's not there yet. You could see people, and they'd be like, hurry up, man, get in the UFO, get in the UFO! And the ship is starting to hover off the ground like it's getting ready to take off. And the alien is still still not there yet. He's still taking those long jumps. And eventually, the side door opens up on the side of the UFO, and the alien goes to jump into the UFO. Peter said he grabbed the alien's heel. He's bouncing up in the air. He grabbed the alien's heel, and he felt it felt like hot iron on his hand. So he immediately let go. And the pain was so intense that he was like, ah, now, just a pro tip. If you're holding a chainsaw, you probably don't want to hold it one-handed. Maybe because I'm not a lumberjack. But I'm never going to, like, chase someone with a chainsaw and then, like, try to grab them at the same time. That just sounds like it's bad. But I guess if you're a lumberjack, you 
you can do stuff like that. You have special abilities. You've put points in the attributes where you can use one-handed chainsaws. Anyways, he tries to grab the alien. He grabs its heel. He feels that horrible pain. The alien then is able to jump into the UFO. Takes off. Now, both Esco and Peter said that, well, they wanted to leave, but they couldn't because they were both partially paralyzed. And they had to wait an hour for the symptoms to leave. And then they were able to get in their car and go home. And they reported the story. So, again, another interesting comparison to that first story, the, the partial paralysis. So, that is the combined story known as the M. Jarvie and Kanula alien encounters. Three different groups of people saw them over the course of 11 months, all pretty much describing the same creature. It may have been getting some fashion upgrades here and there and going from the overalls to a more fashionable puffy suit, but there's enough similarities between them that it's either true or everyone made up the same story, which is possible as well. But I think that last encounter shows why it was the last encounter. Aliens may want to buzz around and pull out boxes and shoot sparks at people, but when it gets real and you land at a lumberjack camp, the Finnish people do not mess around. And I think the rest of the world can take example from that. None of this, hey, we come in peace, shake hands with aliens, learn to like balance crystals or alien religions or whatever. Get a chainsaw, chase them down. Don't touch them, but make them fear you. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Now, that story ran a lot longer than I thought it was going to. So this might be an extra long episode. Actually, it might be an extra long episode because I've missed so many episodes on vacation. This will be the Finnish special. Finnish special. It's an extra long episode. All the stuff's about Finland. And this next story is funny. When I did the episode on the Finno-Korean hyperwar, I knew that I was going to get a couple people to make jokes about this. But... The people that talked about this was on YouTube. I had Mickey Knox, no Mallory, Mickey Knox, Zai Damoka, and then through Gmail, I had a cartoon. And they all basically made the comment, Finland doesn't exist. Now, Finland doesn't exist is a very new conspiracy theory. It's a very new conspiracy theory out there. And its it, origins are quite simple. It's actually an interesting theory because it's one that we can trace back the origins to it. We know who came up with it. Everything like that. It's more about the fact that this popped up in 2015. And people will say that it's true. It's a very, very recent conspiracy theory. But it touches on all the stuff we talk about when I say what makes up a good conspiracy. I think that was like episode 10 or 8 or something I did. You have time, you have distance, and you have a entity that we don't trust. If you have all three of those things in a conspiracy theory, they're more likely to take off. So... We're going back to the year of the mid-20th century, right? And Russia realizes that there is this massive sea right at their borders that's full of fish. More fish than you could ever count in your life. Even Dr. Seuss could not count all these fish. And they go, you know what? Let's exploit this natural resource. We can do this, gentlemen. We have the technology. Someone goes, yeah, but we hate fishing. I know we hate fishing, but... I know someone who loves fishing. Russia goes and knocks on Japan's door. Japan opens up wearing a little kimono. Hey, Japan, you love fishing, right? Yes, I love fishing. So Russia and Japan 
who have always been friends and never engaged in any sort of warfare for whatever point in this conspiracy, they're friends because they're <laughs> they actually hate each other. But if for this conspiracy to work, it requires you not to know anything about history or geography. Russia and Japan are friends, best friends. And so Russia goes, tell you what, we found the greatest fishing spot in the world. And Japan's just sitting there drinking coffee. The I heart Japan mug. Yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. I do love fishing. They go, we found this premier fishing spot. Now, we know that all the environmentalists, all the wackadoodle dudes are saying, you can't fish, Japan. You can't. You're overfishing stuff. You want to kill whales and stuff like that. We're going to monitor you. We're going to run our Greenpeace ships. And Japan's like, yeah, yeah, quite the headache. Quite the headache. So tell me more about this fishing spot. Russia goes, not only can we give you access to this fishing spot, all we want is a portion of the fish because we're starving. It's 1950s. Communism is in full swing. We have no food. Japan's like, yeah, I didn't notice your pants were a little baggy and you were wearing a potato sack for a shirt. And Russia's like, yes, it's harsh times, harsh times. But they will get better after communism falls. So anyways... Russia says, there's this giant sea next to us, and you'll be allowed to fish there. No one else can fish there. You just have to give us a portion of the fish. And Japan goes, well, how do you, how will you guarantee no one else fish will ever fish there? And Russia goes, because we're going to tell people there's no water there. We're going to tell people there is actually a country there. So if they know there is a country there, why would you go there to fish? Why would you bring boats there? Japan's like, very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And the way it worked out was they basically came up, Russia and Japan got together and they came up with the name of the country, Finland, because secretly that's who they are getting fish from. It was a secret inside joke where whenever people talked about Finland, people would go, ah, yeah, yeah. They would know. See, it was a joke. Why else would you name a country Finland unless you were fishing there? And, and I know your immediate question is, what about all the Finnish people? Wow, there are none according to this conspiracy theory. If you live in Finland, you don't. You live in Russia. They, you just think you live in Finland. It doesn't exist. You might, if you live on the eastern border of Finland, you might live in Sweden. Oh, but now, see, now you're saying, won't Sweden, one of the other neighboring countries, be able to look out the window and see a vast ocean? Or sea, to be more specific? Wouldn't they tell people, no, 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 there's actually water to fish there. There's not a country called Finland there. I'm on the border of a mass sea. Wow. Because, see, now we get into the global conspiracy. You see, Finland is often held up as the perfect ideal society with low crime rates and high education and all of these great values that socialists like to talk about. It's because no other, no other form of political party cares about education or crime. But... The socialist Democrats of the world, the leftists, tell people that Finland exists and it's this perfect country because it uses socialistic attitudes and government practices and things like that. But it doesn't exist, so no one can verify it. So they can go, oh, the greatest country in the world is Finland. They can say Finland is the perfect socialist nation. You know, they can point to any government program they want to promote and say, well, it works in Finland, but you can never verify it because Finland doesn't exist. That's why they go along with the fact that Finland is real. It's really part of a cover-up. It's a cover-up on the fact of Russia and Japan wanting to eat fish. And it's a cover-up from the mainstream media, socialist, globalist elite, because they want to be able to point to Finland and say, your country could be as good as this country if you followed our rules. 
Oh, oh, and I also should say part of this component is Nokia is Finland's biggest company, and Nokia is owned by the Japanese. And th- this part I wasn't able to, well, I wasn't able to verify any of it because it's fake, but I also often see this, that Japan's the number one importer of Nokia phones, but Japanese in general don't use Nokia phones. I actually had to look into that because that's something I could verify. Nokia stopped selling phones in Japan in like 2008. And now they just buy up cell phone towers, cell phone networks and stuff like that in Japan and in China. So they still do have a big footprint there. They're just not selling phones. But anyways, the idea is, is that they're importing quote unquote phones to Japan, but really is boxes of fish. So they set up this fake company in a country that doesn't exist. So when Nokia boxes are traveling through other countries, you don't know. The, yeah, I mean, obviously you'd smell the fish. You'd be like, that's weird. Why is this Nokia phone? Why is it dripping wet? Why is this box dripping wet? Also, the Trans-Siberian Railway was supposedly built to ship fish from across from Finland to Japan. Like, the whole thing is ridiculous, but it has so many components that are quote-unquote believable to someone who doesn't have basic working knowledge of geography or world history. I honestly think this conspiracy would be a little more believable if it didn't start off in the 1950s or like the early 1900s. Because then you have stuff like in the history books, like the the, uh, the Finnish Empire, ancient Finnish warlords and stuff like that. But anyways, they say that's all made up. The powers that be are making it up, just like Mudflood. This conspiracy theory is often brought up with stuff when we talk about Mudflood, which is something I've talked about multiple times. It's a theory where mud covered the entire planet in the 1800s and wiped out all these civilizations, and historians are trying to cover that fact up, like mud covered up the world. People who believe in lost history a lot of times will buy into the fact that Finland doesn't exist because it follows the same lines. Something that we're told happened or exists didn't actually exist. So this one, though, we have a start point of it. In 2015... There is this thread on Reddit where someone goes, what's the what's the one thing your parent told you that as you realized was stupid? Like, what's something that your parents told you when you were a kid that you realized was dumb? And one guy goes, oh, okay, you're not going to believe this, but when I was a little kid, my parents told me Finland didn't exist. And he basically laid out the story that I told you. And it became a huge hit. And he said, he goes, yeah, my ki- my parents said that Finland doesn't exist. What it seems like now is that his parents were joking with him because he says that my parents do later on. He said, my parents do believe that Finland exists. Uh, They laugh about it, that it's become so popular, but it was basically a, it most likely was a practical joke that her parents pulled on a little kid and they probably just talked about it for a half hour. He said they were watching television and there was a news report about Finland and the dad goes well that Finland doesn't even exist and the kid's like what do you mean and the dad started saying stuff and the mom started saying stuff and I mean parents play practical jokes on kids all the time so I think that's probably what happened the dad was probably bored one day he saw an opening and he saw how gullible his kid was and just kept going with it and then forgot about it and didn't the next day go you do know Finland exists right because it was just some stupid joke at some point he's probably figuring his kids smart enough to figure it out but then 10-15 years later his son goes yeah my dad told me that Finland doesn't exist and then it becomes this huge meme he goes back to his parents and they go oh no we we're just joking like we didn't even, they didn't even remember saying that to him they're just joking so that's the origin of this thing that's the origin of this thing people today believe Finland doesn't exist and I know that for a fact because I've talked to people who believe that Finland doesn't exist and now sometimes people will make jokes and you're kind of like I don't know if 
you're joking, if you're just trying to troll me, or you're just trying to troll people on the internet. But then you'll meet people who you know they're not trying to troll at all. They are actually 100% believe that Finland doesn't exist. We have, as a society, gotten to a point where a father's joke to his son can convince 1% of the population of the planet. I know people are going to say that people are dumber. That's why people believe in this stuff. That we as a society, we as a species, have become dumber. And I don't believe that's the answer. I think it's the opposite. I think people have information overload. And the brain has a natural filtering process that when you're presented with all this information, we have access to the world's information, all the combined knowledge of humanity on our smartphone. And your brain just can't process that. And it basically, it has to work as a filter. Otherwise, you're just going to blow up. You can't constantly process all this information. And it's just like, you can look at everything. You can, your eyes pick up every single detail of the room you're sitting in right now. But your brain is only registering and only letting you remember certain details. Because otherwise, if I knew the color of the dish soap in my sponge, and I knew which way my faucet was, and I knew what date my calendar was, and I knew all of what you should know, the date on your calendar... But if I remembered every single detail in my room all day long, my brain would be overloaded. But my eyes register it. The information's in my head, but I don't have access to it. There is a filter in my brain. I think that's the same thing. I think that's why conspiracy theories are really, really taking off now, as opposed to 30, 40 years ago, when it was relegated to a small section of a bookstore. We have so much information coming in every single day. We are having to filter out a bunch of information. And a, a lot of times, like my my eyes are picking up all the stuff in the room and my eyes and brain as a neutral thing don't know what's important or not as I'm just looking at a wall. If I'm looking for my poster of Kate Upton, I will my eyes will go there. It knows where it's at. And yes, I do have one. But, but if I'm thinking, where's my broom? I then have to look for my broom. Even though my eyes and my brain know where my broom is because I've been looking at it all day long. It blinks that information. I don't need access to that information right now. And when it's filtering out information, sometimes it filters out good information, like Finland exists. And you remember all the stuff you learned about in high school. You start to filter out information. Your brain doesn't care if it's good information or it's bad information. It's just facts. It doesn't affect your daily life. I think it's information overload. And I think what happens is people don't trust experts or supposed experts, however you want to put it. They don't trust government institutions. They don't trust religious institutions. They don't trust institutions in general. So they have no source of reference. They trust individuals that they know, quote unquote, on YouTube or podcasts or whatever like that. They'll trust them because they seem like a friend. They're not a nameless corporation or an institution or anything like that. And that friend may have views that are not true. But just like if you were hanging out with your real friend and they go, oh, I don't like Pepsi, it's gross. You may go, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Pepsi neither. Because you didn't really, you had no opinion on Pepsi before that conversation. You, you could take it or leave it. But when you have friends that go, oh no, Pepsi's totally disgusting. You're like, yeah, I really didn't care about Pepsi now. But now that my friends say it's gross, yeah, it is kind of gross. Because you didn't really care. It's the same thing with Finland. Who really even thought about, who thinks about Finland other, other than people living in Finland or near Finland? So when someone says it doesn't exist, you go, well, you know what? I never really thought about Finland before. But yeah, maybe it doesn't exist because it's coming from somebody you trust. And then we get into the problem of the echo chamber. That once 
you've filtered out good information that makes you think that's a stupid thing to think. That's ridiculous. You filter out good information. You just accept all information, good and bad, as information. You can't, you've lost that ability to kind of go, that's not true. Because you're, you're just overloaded. Your brain's overloaded. You can't decide what's good and what's bad. It's overloaded. You're, you're talking to people who are saying that you trust, who are making statements that you really didn't care about beforehand, and now you're like, oh, they believe it. I didn't have an opinion on it before. I'll just go along with them. And then you get stuck in the echo chamber where eventually you end up talking to people all the time. It came from the influencer. And now all of your friends think that Finland doesn't exist. You go out online, you start telling people Finland doesn't exist. hundred people laugh at you, but one person goes, really? Because they didn't have an opinion on Finland anyways. They never thought about it, but someone they trust, i.e. you, not saying you personally, but the person who believes this stuff, they trust them. Absolutely bizarre world we live in right now. The internet is interconnects us. It gives us access to all this information. And we are seeing some bizarre side effects of it. I don't necessarily see things getting better either. I think we're just, I think conspiracy theories are just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where eventually I believe you will start seeing conspiracy theories covered in the mainstream media as they are fact. If there's another terror attack, if there's another terror attack, the idea that it was an inside job is going to be the main story. I think we've just gotten to that point where people just question everything. There's a huge explosion in New York. The government tries to say it was Al-Qaeda. There is going to be at least one major news network that is going to dig into it as if it was an inside attack. Mark my words. I hope there's not a terrorist attack, obviously. That's my prediction. I think we are at the stage where we are going to start seeing conspiracy theories go mainstream and actually become the theory. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great week, guys. (laughs) 